Gina Della from Pella. Through June 30th at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, choose 40% off installation or six-year no-interest financing. Get details now at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Hope you enjoyed your weekend. To all the dads out there, belated happy Father's Day. Hope you had a great day basking in the adoration from your your children. Um, yeah, for, for us, um, we had a great time. Took my brother and my niece and nephew out to dinner. Just enjoyed it quite a bit. All right, over the weekend, sent out a couple tweets. Um, one or two we will be discussing later on in the program. If you follow me, it, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. There, there are a couple things I wanted to call your attention to. First of all, there was, I have said this before, when whenever you have politicians on the left or right, but lately it's been more of a Republican thing, who try to analogize something that's going on now, whether it's mask mandates or vaccinations or, or whatever, and they try to draw an analogy, and the analogy is whatever it is, ma- wearing a mask or having to get a vaccination or telling people they should get a vaccination is like it's like Hitler or Nazi Germany, or this is like the Holocaust. My, my advice, and I've said this repeatedly, is is whenever politicians or anyone else, commentators, try to analogize something that's going on now to Hitler or Nazi Germany or the Holocaust, it is almost always a very, very bad idea because there's really nothing like Nazi Germany and the Holocaust and the horror that was Adolf Hitler. And by trying to analogize something that's going on to that, you trivialize, you know, the, the horrors of Hitler or Nazi Germany or the Holocaust. And and it, it never works. So, I mean, my advice is just stop. Just and and again, I say that to commentators and politicians on the left and right. Just stop with the Hitler Nazi Germany analogies. It never, ever, ever works out. At the same time, I, I do think that the left, and this is something that's primarily a left phenomena right now, not exclusively, but left, should should stop throwing around the, the terrorism claims. Oh, this is like terrorism, or this is like 9-11, or, or whatever. They, they should stop throwing around those sorts of claims unless and until they have all the facts. Because analogizing something to, to terrorism, for example, is, is a big step. And it might, might, might just be that you are wrong. And we saw an example of that over the weekend. There was a, a gay pride parade in, in Fort Lauderdale. And perhaps you saw a large, large, large parade. And what happened is that this pickup truck plows through a crowd gathered for the, the gay pride parade. One person was killed. Another person was injured. And if, if you know the, the very outspoken and controversial congressman, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she's apparently riding in a car and she comes close to being struck by th- this vehicle. All right. And, you know, it, it, and it's a terrible thing and lots of uncertainty. Well, into this, in the immediate aftermath of this, wades the mayor of Fort Lauderdale 
who decides that he, he's going he's gonna to put out a statement on this, and his name is Dean Trantalus. So his statement in the immediate aftermath of this, this terrible thing is um, he goes on television and he says, this is a terrorist attack against the LGBT community. That is exactly what it is. Hardly an accident. It was deliberate. It was premeditated, and it was targeted against a specific person. Luckily, they missed that person, but unfortunately, they hit two other people. Now, I don't know if he's suggesting that the intent of this was to hit Debbie Wasserman Schultz or not. I'm not sure. But, you know, he says this is a terrorist attack against the LGBT community. It, It wasn't an accident. It was deliberate. It was premeditated. It was targeted, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now now this is, of course, very controversial. Well, it turns out this was not a terrorist activity at all. As a matter of fact, the driver of the pickup truck was a participant in the parade. He was part of the Fort Lauderdale Gay Men's Chorus, and apparently it was it was an accident. It was purely an accident. And, you know, we don't still have all the details whether the driver lost control of the car or something, mechanical problem. We don't know what it was. But we do know it was not a terrorist attack. It was a parade participant who was part of the LGBT community who lost control of the vehicle he was driving and, and caused this. And so here you have the idiot mayor of Fort Lauderdale who's out there throwing gasoline on this fire by throwing around, oh, this was terrorism. This was a premeditated attempt to kill somebody. And it was none of that. So just like politicians and commentators should avoid throwing around the Holocaust references and the Nazi Germany references and the Hitler references, maybe before we start throwing around that this was terrorism, this is like 9-11, this is a terrorist attack, etc., maybe you should just just kind of wait just a few minutes to figure out what it was that went on because this was none of that. This was an unfortunate accident by a parade participant. It wasn't a terrorist attack on the LGBT community at all. It was a tragic accident. And the mayor, by again throwing gasoline on the fire by making these unfounded and untrue statements, does nothing. It's it's just flat out not helpful. All right, when we come back, maybe this would be helpful. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Yeah, one of our texters says that uh, the, the guy who was driving the truck that, that caused the, the death and the injury in the, the gay pride parade in Fort Lauderdale, 77-year-old participant who was uh, likely a diabetic, who and they think that he maybe not been able to feel anything his feet. Just ha- it's a tragic accident, but th- that's that that's the point. It is a tragic accident, but you have the mayor of Fort Lauderdale, whose initial reaction is to identify this as terrorism, imply that it was an effort at premeditated murder, and of course that's the story that goes out over the wire services. And so for the longest time, it's just so difficult to unring these bells once they're they're rung, and that's why commentators, politicians, especially when you're talking about things like, oh, this is a terrorist activity, you need to dial it back. Just just, just wait. Because, I mean, is it possible that's what this could have been? Sure, it's possible, but that's not what it was. And by rushing to conclusions and saying these inflammatory things, it's just flat out not helpful. All right. 
Should we be saying, thank you, Senator Johnson? Thank you, Senator Johnson. Well, don't you understand how controversial Ron Johnson is? He got booed at Juneteenth Day in Milwaukee. Well, here's something that maybe we should be. I think it would be fair to say that the Milwaukee streetcar, Tom's Trolley Folly, has turned out to be an unmitigated disaster. When when this was built at a cost of 50, 60, 70 million, lots of which came from the federal government, many of us said at the time, hey, look, this is going to be a giant boondoggle. Nobody's going to ride it. We were told, oh, no, don't, don't worry about this. It's going to be great. People are going to flock to it. We're predicting that there's going to be an average of 1,800 people riding it a day. And at least initially, the numbers were, look how popular this is. The first year it was in operation, you had 2,000 people who rode the streetcar daily. That That's more than expectations. Now, of course, the asterisk with that is that that 1,800 day prediction was based on people paying a dollar a ride. We have never charged a dime for people to ride on this. And so, and I think this was one of the ultimate bait and switches because I think all the people who were pro streetcar recognized that if you charged people to ride it, even a quarter, you would have a fraction of the ridership they had even in that first year. People wrote it because it was free and it was kind of a novelty, and it ended up being that this yuppie people mover, so you could have people on the east side who could go bar hop a little bit easier. And for that, we pay tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. Well, okay, the, the bloom is off the rose, and I understand that we know we're coming out of the COVID thing, but in April of this year, and Fox 6 had a big report on this, the ridership is down to 450 people a day. Day. 450 people. You know, they staked out one of the, the ridership things and they saw like 48 trains come and only 22 left with anybody on them. I mean, these are they are giant air trolleys. They, they're carrying air, not people. And so when a number of aldermen said, look, maybe it's time to shut this stuff down because right now it is going to cost taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee somewhere north of three million dollars a year to to keep the, the hop running it costs like four and a half million dollars they've got like a million dollars maybe a little bit more in sponsorships but otherwise there, there's no other revenue coming in they, they are losing money they are it's costing the taxpayers north of three million dollars to run this every year and that's money that has to come out of the general revenue of the city that's money that can't be used to repair streets that's money that can't be used to to hire police officers. That's money that has to be used to support the air trolley. Now, the mayor's idea, of course, is let's double down. Let, let's what we really need to do is we need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars more and expand it to different places. It's not working now, but we knew it wasn't going to work because it doesn't go anywhere except on this 2.1 mile loop. We need to run this to the south side. We need to run it to the north side. We need it to run it to all these places. So the mayor's response is take hundreds of millions of dollars more, tear up more of the city. And that'll solve the problem. Now, I don't happen to believe that. But the argument that the Barrett administration is now making to the Common Council, who are saying, we, we had to shut this thing down. They're saying, no, wait a second. You can't shut it down. It's too big to fail. Because if we shut it down, we are going to have to repay the federal government like about $68 million that they fronted us to install this thing in the first place. So even though nobody's riding it, even though we're losing all this money, we have to keep, we have to keep running it. It's, it's just, it's too big to fail. And 
that's that's kind of a daunting thing. I mean, I guess it is sort of compelling. It is the ultimate example of you have dug yourself this huge hole, and rather than crawling out and filling in the hole and moving away, you have to keep digging. And that's what that's what the common council is being told. You have to keep digging because if we don't keep throwing money at this, we're going to owe the feds. We're going to have to pay him sixty eight million dollars back. So here's what Senator Ron Johnson says. He says, look, here's what I'm willing to do. This is this is this is not being written. So, you know, what we can do is, you know, I am willing to, you know, introduce legislation which would amend the the transit funding bill that would allow cities like Milwaukee to uninstall federally funded transit projects without having to pay back the grants. I mean, Senator Johnson says, what I sure don't want to see is another 25 years of three or four million per year operating deficits. That would be throwing good money after bad. So Johnson's saying, hey, look, uh, if this is the deal, I'm willing to promote a new law which would allow us to recognize that this was a disaster and just let the city of Milwaukee off the hook as opposed to expecting millions and millions of dollars to be pumped into this boondoggle for the next 20 years. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, the response from the Common Council, the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee, and I, I think any sort of sensible thinking people throughout the community should be four words. Thank you, Senator Johnson. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If the city of Milwaukee can, through federal legislation, get out from under this boondoggle, shouldn't they take advantage of that? We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So, I mean... Look, right now, the streetcar is a colossal failure. There's nobody riding it. And the administration says, well, the reason nobody's riding it is is it doesn't go anywhere. So their plan is to spend hundreds of millions of dollars more to try to make it go to different places. All right, Senator Johnson, Ron Johnson is saying, look, if the reason you're not shutting this down is because you have to pay $68 million back to the feds, we'll we'll modify the law to allow you the opportunity to shut this down. number of common council people are saying, well, maybe that's the idea because as it stands right now, it's going to take $3.5 million a year out of general taxpayer revenue to support this. And who knows whether it's going to be expanded or not. Let's start with Lisa in Greenfield. Lisa, you're first. Good afternoon. Oh, Brookfield. Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Oh, hi. Hi. I love the idea of the forgiveness of that loan. But I also, if that doesn't go through, I do think if that hop was going somewhere, people would pay. I really do. I'm, I wanted to use it the other night when I went to the Bucks game, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it oh. doesn't go. Okay, so when you when you, you say know, you want it right when you say you, when you say you wanted to use I'm just kind of curious where where you so you you live in Brookfield where would you be using yes. it from where do you think you know you know what um I I was downtown trying to get to the game but you know the parking is terrible down there right and I was like so we were going to hire an Uber just right. to get to the game and get dropped off but I was like wow if that hop went past this Pfizer you know what I mean I would. I would have grabbed it. I would have paid. Right from down there. From where though? I mean, I guess how how far? Oh, I'm sorry. How, how, no, Lake how, Drive, how maybe? I'm sorry, Lake Drive. You said 
I'm just wondering. Yeah. I'm just wondering how. Yeah. See, I'm just wondering how it it, it costs what a hundred billion bucks or whatever that was to build a two point one mile mile loop. I mean, if you right. you know, the, the question is how how many more hundreds of millions of dollars are we going to sink in on on the chance that? And look, and I get it, Lisa, that it makes it easier for you to get to the bucks game, but at the same time. I don't know. Is that really? Is and that I something that we make? We spend hundreds of millions of dollars on to make it easier for people to if, get to a Bucks game. If it were going some, if it were going somewhere, where if like someone needs to go to work, you know what I mean? Like, I, mm. I, I would think like you said, the South Side. You know, if someone were, if it was going somewhere, people would pay. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, th- I mean, maybe. I, I mean, if if it were going somewhere, but the question becomes, what what is. What what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that you're we're going to spend I don't know billions of dollars to to make it it go somewhere? I mean, obviously you can't afford to run it out to to Brookfield or anything like that. I mean, isn't that what you'd use buses for and things like that? I mean, look what what it is right now is it's kind of this nice thing so that people on the east side who um, on the on the lower east side who who want to go drink at a couple bars and don't want to have to worry about driving, they can walk a few blocks, they they can hop onto it, and and there's there is that sort of pleasure that goes with it but to to make it actually go somewhere you need to talk about you're probably talking about certainly hundreds of millions maybe maybe bill, maybe a billion dollars to get it to really go throughout the the area and then the question is is that the best way of spending that or you know could you invest in rubber tire buses or things like that where you could alter this in any event i, I think right now you you got to be objective about this and at this point in time it is a failure. And is the city of Milwaukee in a position where it can continue to drop $3 million year after year? Or alternatively, if the idea is, all right, it's a failure now, but the only way we can salvage this is to make a commitment that we're going to spend $500 million or a billion dollars or whatever it is to make it, in Lisa's words, go somewhere, then the dialogue's got to be, where is that dough going to come from? Are we confident enough in our ridership estimates because the the estimates we got before have turned out to be completely and totally incorrect because they were based on people paying and 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 even even with it being free right now it was 450 people not 1800 I'm just saying before you go down this route, you, you better be really, really confident and then explain to me where the money's coming from. And at this point in time, unless you can do that sort of stuff, maybe it's better to just climb out of the hole, fill it in, stop digging and move on. Are we France? Now, now, hear, now hear me out on this. Late last week, President Biden signed legislation which declared Juneteenth day as a federal holiday now i want to be real clear at the beginning i I don't i don't have any objections to that but here's kind of the reality with juneteenth day becoming a federal holiday there are now 11 designated federal holidays for which federal employees get the day off new year's day martin luther king jr birthday washington's birthday which is president's day memorial day Juneteenth Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Columbus Day, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving Day, and Christmas Day. There are 11 paid federal holidays. In addition to those 11 holidays, federal employees on average get 20 vacation days per year. 
because here's the way it works. Um, in your first three years working for the government, full-time employees earn 13 days of vacation each year, and, and you accumulate it. You get like, for, when you first start, you get like four hours every two pay periods, but it translates into 13 days of vacation each year. For three to 15 years of federal service, employees earn 20 days of vacation each year. So that that's the average. You know, once you're there three years, you get 20 days of vacation each year on top of 11 federal holidays. So 20 and 11, we're now at 31. All right. Um, in addition to that, each federal employee also gets, on average, 13 sick days a year because just like vacation you accumulate you accumulate sick time so the the way this is right now so you've got 11 federal holidays you've got 13 sick days that's 24 on average you've got 20 vacation days that that's 44 44 days a year the estimates that these benefits cost taxpayers 22.6 billion dollars annually on top of that, there is a very strong push to add another federal holiday, and that would be Election Day. Um, so that would be every two years that you would have Election Day off a- as well, which would add another, uh, the estimates are, each federal holiday is $818 million. And, and that's just within executive agencies. That doesn't include the military or the U.S. Postal Service. So you're, you're now looking at, at 44, on average, paid days off a year with the idea that maybe this is going to go up to 45 paid days off every year if Election Day were to become a holiday. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Look, I, again, my argument would be that it's time to say enough is enough. And, and I, I don't I don't care, for example, if, if you want to make Election Day a holiday, fine. If you Juneteenth Day, that that's that's fine with me as well. But rather than adding is it now time to start subtracting? That is to say, all right, if you want to make if you want to make Veterans Day a holiday, I mean Election Day a holiday, fine. Maybe there, there's a day that we have to get rid of. Maybe maybe Columbus Day should no longer be a, a federally recognized holiday. Maybe Washington's birthday, President's Day, should no longer be a recognized federal holiday. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and by the way, federal employees who are there for more than 15 years, well, they get even more vacation time. But I was just using the average, 44 days a year between sick time, paid vacation, and on average, and the different federal holidays. And there's a push to add more federal holidays. Is it time to start condensing? If you want to make Election Day a holiday, if you want to make Juneteenth Day a holiday, that, that's fine. But maybe we should start saying, okay, let's take away a couple of these other holidays and let's have that debate. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or are we becoming France? We discuss in just a minute. And, and, and by the way, while I'm using the example of, of federal holidays, I mean, presumably, if we did away with Columbus Day and, and your private employer gave you Columbus Day off, well, you, then you'd have to go work Columbus Day. If if your private employer, if we did away with a special recognition and a 
uh, Veterans Day, for example, is a paid holiday. You know, presumably, you know, people in the private sector would lose that as well. But it's more and more and more. And and I think, candidly, it's time to start to cut this stuff back. And fine, if you want to make an election election day a holiday, if you want to make Juneteenth Day a federal holiday, that that's fine. But maybe we should look at saying, okay, maybe we don't need to recognize Columbus Day. Let's trade Columbus Day for Juneteenth Day. 855-616-1620. Uh, Michelle in Oostburg. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, like I told your screener, I think that the day should have been recognized officially for a long time. But I think it should be recognized kind of like a Mother's Day or a Father's Day where it's like every second Saturday or Sunday in June. I don't think that we needed to make it a paid holiday for um, for people, for workers. Well, I mean, I think that I, and th- thanks for calling. Michelle, again, I, I, I don't have a problem. There, there is, there is a significance to Juneteenth Day and it, it, it is a very significant day and I, and I get it, but, but maybe, maybe we, we should, we should trade that off and maybe it should be okay. If we're going to recognize this, maybe, maybe we don't need to recognize President's Day anymore. Maybe that's become passe and maybe, you know, based on, you know, 2021 standards, you know, Juneteenth is more significant. But this idea that you keep adding and adding and adding, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, why don't we combine some of of these holidays. Well, I mean, I think that's a potential here. Jeff, in the private sector, when a business is losing money every quarter, they find ways to cut costs, not create more paid days off. Maybe the federal government should start cutting things. Well, I'm not sure that that's, um, that that's going to be the situation. Jeff, I work in the private sector. I get 11 holidays, 20 vacation days, and 10 sick days. That's 41 days. So federal employees don't deserve days off. Well, okay, it's not that people don't deserve days off. The question is, how many days off do do people, in fact, deserve? And is 11 holidays with the chance of going up to 12, is is that too much? Um, Now, interestingly enough, in the federal government, you accumulate sick time. And somebody was asking me, you know, do, is that disability, how does that work with disability insurance? Well, what it means is you, you just collect sick time. You get four hours every two weeks in your paycheck and you can just, you accumulate it and accumulate it. When I was a federal employee, to me, that was always my, my sort of short-term disability policy if I ever got really sick. And when I left the federal government, I, I left, I can't tell you how many weeks of sick time I ended up giving, um, that I ended up giving back. Um, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, for your information, Milwaukee County employees get all those paid days, plus both spring and fall election days, plus Cesar Chavez's birthday. It is France. <laughs> we are becoming France indeed. Jeff, my 10-year-old just said he doesn't get it. He wants to know why people can't vote after work. He's 10 years old. Actually, a couple people are saying if we made Election Day a paid holiday, would that then eliminate the need for early voting or absentee voting or particularly early voting? Interesting question. Jeff, another reason to dump Columbus Day, um, he didn't discover America. Well, all right. I, I mean, I don't necessarily mean to throw Columbus Day under the bus. Us, but at some point in time, do you have to say, um, can we can we stop 
adding. Um, Jeff, um, sign me up. Where are these jobs? Well, that's the standard if you work for the federal government. Jeff, if municipalities are removing Christopher Columbus statues, why would they also be honoring him with a day off for federal employees? Seems like it is a double standard. Well, I think that there is an element to that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just raised this point because at some point in time, can you keep adding? And uh, if you if you do the math, if there's like 220 work days, and right now you're looking at 40 plus holidays, including vacation and vac- paid vacation, that's about 20 percent. Not not a not a bad gig. Um, Jeff, remove Columbus Day as a federal paid holiday. Replace it with Juneteenth. All right, I'm willing to have that conversation. And again, this isn't a beef on with Juneteenth Day. It is just. All right. Why do we always say let's add, let's add, let's add? Jeff, is the government petitioning for election day to be paid to? I think that this is too much. Yeah, that there. Matter of fact, there is legislation right now that is pending action in Congress that would make election day a paid holiday as well. Um, that's Jeff speaking for every single truck driver in the country. When I say I wish I had that many days off, even without pay, we're under so much stress. It's unbelievable. I'm with you. Um, aren't there holidays that can be done away with? Um, yes, I think there are holidays that could be done away with. Um, look, bottom line is you don't have to be anti Juneteenth day. But I do think it's fair to say, hey, every time we do this, it's 818, it's 818 million dollars. That's what it costs on a yearly basis for the holiday. And that's not counting the post office. That's not counting the military. So, all right, if we're going to recognize Juneteenth Day, maybe it's time for Columbus Day to go. All right. And if that's the case, all the people who don't like Columbus Day, well, now will they be coming forward and saying, no, 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 we've now we've rethought our position. We got to keep Columbus Day or we got to keep President's Day or whatever. All right. If you're going to add, you should also subtract back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. This story is has gone national. And I guess I, I have a take on this that's perhaps different than the conventional mainstream media thing. So on, on Juneteenth Day, there's a, there's a celebration in Milwaukee, and it's been going on for years and years. And, and Ron Johnson, the Republican senator from Wisconsin, the senior senator, he decides he's going to make an appearance there, and he's going to interact, and he's going to talk to people. Okay, now I, I think Ron Johnson has to recognize that he's that he, the people he's going to be running into, by and large, are, are not people who are going to be supporters of him. But I, I in this regard, I give him credit. He, he's you know he he goes into what you might describe as hostile political territory. So he goes down there, and what I am told from people who who were there and on the ground is, at least initially, you know, he's going around, he's shaking hands, he's introducing himself, and the the reception is is cordial. I mean, it's not necessarily warm, but it's cordial. People are saying that. Then what happens is you have a couple people who see that it's Ron Johnson, and they start screaming at him. And I mean screaming at him, including profane things. And then more people gather and they start screaming at him, more profane things. So the breathless headline in the Journal Sentinel is Ron Johnson made an appearance at Milwaukee's Juneteenth Day celebration. It didn't go well. Um, you could see this coming on Saturday during an otherwise joyful celebration of Juneteenth Day in Milwaukee. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson made an appearance at a Republican Party booth. Um, 
As more people recognized him, he was drowned out by a chorus of brew, uh, booze. Members of the crowd swore at him and said, we don't want you here, etc., etc. Um, when asked what he thought of the booze, Johnson said, it's unusual for Wisconsin. Most people in Wisconsin say you're in our prayers, we're praying for you, but you've got some people here who are just uh, sort of nasty at some points. His point is this is not how you heal the, the nation. Um, you come down here and try to interact with people and be nice to people, but this isn't very nice. And one of the attendees who's quoted saying, well, it's really easy. Ron Johnson's politics are not for us. Now, I thought that was an interesting thing because, and of course, this is the national story, you know, Ron Johnson, who's targeted by Democrats, and, and Johnson does, in fact, have a target on his back for a variety of reasons, but in particular, he's up for re-election next year. He is the one Republican senator who will be running for re-election in a state that that um, Joe Biden won. So, I mean, it, this is, in some respects, from the perspective of Democrats, they view this as the seat that is most likely to Johnson to pick up. So, I mean, and you, you have all these breathless stories, and I, I will be the first to acknowledge that Senator Johnson, he's been on this program many times, ha- has been a lightning rod for different controversies, some of which my advice would have been just to completely steer clear of because there's nothing to gain by going down some of the rabbit holes, but that, that's another story. But I, I was thinking about this, this reaction. So you have, you know, he shows up and he's cursed at and he's booed and, and that's, that's the thing. Well, you could see it coming. You knew this was going to happen. And I, I found myself thinking, what if the situation were reversed? What if U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin had gone to, I don't know, some event in in one of the the really really blue counties, for example, and and it or one of the really like red counties that would be, and and she shows up and and people surrounded her and started cursing at her and and booing her for her position on this issue or, or that issue, and I'm thinking, okay, if if that were the case, what would the story be? Would the story be, oh, you know, she shouldn't have gone there in the first place? Or would the story be, look at all these intolerant people in, you know, this particular red county. You know, Tammy Baldwin went there to try to talk to people and meet constituents, and she got cursed at and she got booed. Well, well, the story would be wouldn't be oh maybe she should have seen this coming it would have been just this look at the the horrible people and these horrible conservatives that are there and, and that and that reaction and and you know you can take you know you can take other politicians and you could use that e- example as as well you know if you had i i don't know if if the response you know t- take any liberal politician in the city of Milwaukee or the state of Wisconsin, and, and imagine that situation reversed. They go somewhere, and the crowd turns as ugly as the crowd did against Senator Johnson. What would the headline be? Would the story be, well, he should have known better. <laughs> he's, he's getting booed. His politics, uh, you know, their, their politics aren't what this community is. Or would it be, look at all the intolerance that is there. But when it's Ron Johnson... And you get this reaction at Juneteenth Day. The story is about, oh, Ron Johnson should have known better to come. How dare he show up at the Republican booth? Interesting double standard. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Well, you know, the big sports news over the weekend, the Brewers uh, reversed a five-game losing streak, won a couple games uh, in dramatic fashion. Uh, the Saturday night game, you have uh, Willie Adonis hits a two-run home run in the bottom of the in the top of the ninth inning to win. Then yesterday, they, they blow a six-run lead and come back and win in the ninth inning, so they've won two in a row. But, of course, the, the big story is the Milwaukee Bucks uh, taking on the Brooklyn Nets. They, they win... They win Game 6 to send it back Saturday night for Game 7 in Brooklyn. And the Bucks in, in what was just a, a really great game, back and forth. And it really does make you appreciate what a special ball player Kevin Durant is. But Kevin Durant was, was not enough. He, he put he put the Brooklyn Nets on his back, and, and that still wasn't enough. And the truth is, you, you know, he, he took one or two shots that could have gone in and could have made a difference. But this time, the ball bounced the right way. The, the Bucks win. And so a, a lot of the concerns earlier on, they're forgotten temporarily. The Bucks uh, now have home court advantage. The Atlanta Hawks come to town on Wednesday. And matter of fact, if you look at the odds, people in Las Vegas now suddenly think that the Bucks are are the favorites to win the NBA title. Um, could be. If you want to talk about, though, people that are really distraught, it's it's in Philadelphia. Philadelphia had the best record in the Eastern Conference, and they lose to the Atlanta Hawks, who Wayne Larravee, the, the Packers broadcaster, always says it's not necessarily who you play, it's when you play them. And Atlanta, that was the fifth seed in the playoffs, they're, they're kind of rounding into form. And um, even though they only had the fifth best record in the Eastern Conference, Atlanta is a very, very dangerous team. They knocked out the New York Knicks, and now they knocked out Philadelphia. But people are particularly distraught in Philadelphia. I'm looking at the story in USA Today. Philadelphia had what they called the process. Maybe if you're a sports fan, you've heard that term. And what they essentially did is starting about eight years ago, they came up with the idea that they were going to tank. Now, they don't necessarily like to say that, but but that's what they did. That is, lose as many games as they possibly could in a given year so you could amass high draft picks and then use those high draft picks to, you know, build a team of superstars that would carry you and make you the dominant force for, for years to come. So that started in 2013, 2014. And for years, Philadelphia was absolutely terrible. That part of the process worked, and they ended up getting a number of, you know, top draft picks. They they ended up, you know, by the time they traded some, they ended up with Joel Embiid, who's just a tremendous player. You know, Ben Simmons is the cornerstone to their franchise. So this was the year that the process was supposed to really, you know, come to to fruition and this was the year that Philadelphia was going to win the championship and all those years of losing well they we'd forget about them and this this is this is the payoff for the process well okay they lose in seven games at home to Atlanta and there's a lot of fans who are saying you know where where do we go from here are Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons Simmons in particular are are they cornerstones of the franchise do you need to blow up the team and start all over again can you figure out how to add somebody in, in any event i don't know exactly what the answer is but but in Philadelphia very very distraught right now you know the bucks the the bucks you know they've been following their own process, but not not like Philadelphia did. With look, we're just going to tank and we're not going to try to win games. And and of course, let let's face it. I mean, the Bucks, the the pick of, of Giannis 
when they had the opportunity to get him, they saw something in him that a lot of other teams just didn't see, and then they've built a- around him. But, you know, in, bar- in large part, they- they've done it without, like, the top pick in the draft or things like that, and then they've been able to, to build this team, which right now is doing very, very well. Philadelphia subjected their fans to years and years of losing, and it looks like close but no cigar this year as well. Be thankful for a lot of reasons. You're not a Philadelphia 76ers fan today. All right, let us switch gears. The mask mandates have pretty much been eliminated. Now, no, nothing says that you can't wear a mask if you see fit, but in in most businesses, in most public places, you're no longer required to wear a mask. Now, the, the CDC guidance says that if you're vaccinated, not required to wear a mask. The problem is, and they, they still recommend that if you if you haven't been vaccinated, but that that's the default position is they're, they're not going to come up and they're not going to get in your face and we don't have to carry our vaccine vaccination cards with us. So the assumption is we're going to operate on the honor system. And that admittedly probably means that there's some people walking around without masks who the CDC says should still have them on because they're not vaccinated. But that's just the way this is. But as a general rule, you know, you do not have to wear masks. That's kind of it. There is an exception to that. And that exception is if you are on a bus, on a train, or on a commercial flight, or in an airport, you are still required to wear masks. This was put in place by the Department, the Federal Department of Transportation, and it has just been extended through September 13th. So here we are. It's the end of June. If you're planning on taking a bus or taking a train or flying anywhere for the rest of June, July, August, and halfway through September, another two and a half plus months, you will be required to wear a mask regardless of whether you are vaccinated or not. Now, I bring this up because I stumbled across a story the other day on Roll Call about how a number of U.S. senators, including some Democrats, are they've kind of had enough with this. Matter of fact, last Wednesday, there was some legislation that was introduced in one of these committees that would have ended the mandate. Now, it failed on a party line vote, but but even some Democrats, for example, like Brian Schatz, who's a Democrat from Hawaii, he acknowledged that, you know, he's feeling impatient as well, saying, look, it's I, I think we have to look at whether or not it's time to end these mandates on on plane. Schatz, this is a Democrat from Hawaii, had suggested that the Senate introduce a sense of the Senate resolution that would encourage the Biden administration to reconsider the rules. All right, our phone number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to drop the mask rules for planes, trains, and buses and airports. I mean, if it's okay to go into a crowded bar in a hotel two minutes away from the airport, it, should it be okay to go into the airport without having to wear a mask? If it's okay to go, I don't know, to, to a ballpark where there's going to be 40,000 people or to a, an arena where there's going to be 20,000 people, should it be okay to go on a plane without wearing a mask. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, none of this 
would prevent people from continuing to wear masks on airplanes. Matter of fact, I believe that that that's going to be one of the things that you're going to continue to see moving forward. That there's going to be a lot of people who just decide, you know, I don't want to breathe this recycled air or things like that, so I'm going to keep wearing my mask. And of course, if that's the philosophy, you know, go with God. No problem with that at all. But should the federal government, does it make any sense for the federal government to continue to require masks on planes and on buses and on trains and in airports when they're not required anywhere else? 855-616-1620, we discuss. The mask mandate is gone from most places. Maybe there's a hospital here or there that still requires it. Maybe there's a a, a nursing home or something that requires it. But as a general rule, um, you are not required to wear masks. Now, the CDC recommendation says if you are vaccinated, you don't need to do that. But, of course, there's no we're on the honor system now. The only exception to that is in transportation. If you go into an airport, you're supposed to wear it. If you go on a bus, on a train, on an airplane, you are required to wear it. And there are penalties. There is a move afoot in the Senate to say, look, it's time to move on from that. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jim in Sockville. Hi, Jim. Uh, uh, Good afternoon. I got to throw this out front because just as a matter of a point that confuses me and that everything I read from the CDC was that the intention of the vaccine was not to prevent transmission, but to mitigate um, uh, symptoms, prevent people from getting hospitalized and dying. So (laughs) I am a little confused. Um, the mask thing, I always also want to rely on individuals making decisions with, on their own, seeking out as much information as possible. And given that, yeah, I think that they should dismiss or get rid of any rules mandating the wearing of masks because I'd like to trust individuals who might feel more secure that as long as they're not prevented from wearing masks themselves. Um, I much more support that. Having said that, what bothers me more is the mandating of vaccines, which is a different but related issue. Right. Well, Jim, and I don't think, and right now at this point in time, nobody's talking about mandating vaccines for for travel, although... Um, matter of fact, I, I came in here on, on Sunday, on Saturday. I was part of the, the Fox World Travel Show. And if if you are, for example, if you're looking at taking a cruise, cruising is starting to come back again. One of the requirements is you do have to have a vac- vaccination for that. So there, there are areas where it's not like it's mandated in that, you know, you um, that's the government's going to say you have to be vaccinated. But it's the cruise line saying, OK, if you want to, you do have to show proof of vaccination if you want to get on the cruise. Eight five five six one six one six twenty um jeff they um they should keep this not so much for the public but for the employees of the closed quarter transportation vehicles they are working in i think a lot of employees would quit if it was not mandated I'm not sure about that. My guess is the vast majority of the employees are going to be vaccinated. Jeff, regardless, regarding masks, my son and I went to the Bucks game Thursday night. We get to the Deer District and a wall to wall people, no masks. All we hear is follow the science, but yet, 
you know, we're, we're told in airports that you have to, you know, wear the masks. If we follow the data, then no masks should be necessary on planes, trains, or any other transportation op- um, options. Is it really about the office, the um, virus, or is it about something else? 855-616-1620. Jeff, no, it's not okay, because in parts of the country where vaccination rate is low, cases and hospitalizations are increasing again, so in tightly confined transportation spaces, everyone needs to wear a mask because we don't know who's not been vaccinated and I don't need to go into crowded public entertainment and I don't need to go into crowded public entertainment venues but I do need to use planes trains and buses now of course the the flip side argument would be to the person who's sending me that text would be are you not vaccinated yourself because if you are vaccinated yourself the chances of you Getting and I, I understand there are breakthrough cases, but that's that is the the rarity. So if you're vaccinated yourself, the chances of you getting it from somebody who is not asymptomatic, um, asymptomatic, and who's on the plane is not is not great. So I guess the question becomes: At what point do we say no? It's kind of time to move on. Jeff, I think it's time to end the pandemic and stop the requirement of people masking. 855-616-1620. We continue the conversation in a moment. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, I sent out a number of tweets over the weekend, but this this is one that really caught my attention. A lot of times people will say, well, how how do you prepare for the program? And I, I have... My wife calls it doing my homework, but I, I but I'll sit down the the night before a show and spend a couple hours, starting probably around like nine o'clock at night, just looking at at a variety of sources, trying to get an idea of the the topics that are out there, and and, and some of it comes from like newspaper websites and TV websites and different story ideas that you've offered me, for example. So I I, I process all this type of stuff, and 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 as a result of that. I consume a lot of media. Then I get up early in the morning. I was up at 5.30 this morning, and I'm back, you know, checking out, scouring the Internet, looking, you know, for stuff that happened overnight or other ideas or trying to put together what the program is going to be. But as a result of that, I end up reading stuff from a number of different different sources and it's not just conservative media or liberal media it's just i'm trying to look for for ideas of things that i find interesting and hopefully you will find interesting to discuss so i've gotten to know or at least read a lot of columnists and stuff at different papers and agree or disagree i always like to see the different ideas and the different opinions so yesterday one of the websites i look at regularly is the chicago tribune website and the, the chicago tribune's been Going through, it was just sold to uh, like a hedge fund. The, the Chicago Tribune's been hemorrhaging money for years, just like a lot of newspapers have. And um, the, they, they were just sold to a hedge fund. And the way this hedge fund operates is they cut and cut and cut and cut and cut. And it was interesting because there was not one, not two, but three of their principal columnists. And these are people that have been writing columns for the Chicago Tribune for decades. All three of them are out. 
All, all three, I've never seen this before. One after another after another had their, this is my final column in, in yesterday's paper. Now, the, the one that I, I called attention to, and I've got a link to the story, John Cass, who is one of the, um, well, he's really a media rarity because he's a conservative columnist. You, you don't hear that very much. But he, he's been writing, you know, he's been featured on like page two or page three of the Chicago Tribune for decades. Well, he decided to take a buyout, as did a number of these others. I've never seen anything like this, though. I mean, again, it's it's one after another after another of of major columnists who all decided it was just time to move on. And so apparently, you know, the company offered them buyouts and they decided, you know, time to get out while the getting's good. But it, it's really I mean, it's just an absolute bloodbath when you look at the names and the, the, the people and their opinion. These were opinion leaders, um, certainly in the print media. And they're all gone. And they're all gone in essentially one day. So if you want to see Cass's last column and also reference to some of the other people who are leaving, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You've got a, a link to this. And there's the story. But I, I think this is, is just the beginning of this. And it underscores the problem that, that newspapers in particular have moving forward as they try to figure out how do you keep readers how do you get in the, the big move as, as fewer and fewer people you know read the printed newspaper that gets delivered to one's house how do you keep readers as you drive people to digital stuff how do you monetize that in other words how do you make money off it and and where do you cut in the case of the chicago tribune they've offered buyouts to a lot of big names and they're heading out the door like I said, if, if this isn't a stone-cold mess, it'll do till a real mess gets here. Now, for those of you who have not been paying attention, all right, the, the, the holiday weekend is Father's Day. If you thought that there would be a cessation of violence on the mean streets of Milwaukee, well, I'm, I'm sorry, it, it did not happen. Um, the most recent count I have, and it, and it keeps going up, the most recent count I have is that from midnight Saturday, so by that I mean like Friday night, essentially, 11.59, midnight Saturday, 12 a.m. on Saturday, through 10.30 last night. The most recent count I have, and, it, and it, 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 this might be low, that in the city of Milwaukee, 14 people were injured, 11 separate shootings throughout the city. Now, miraculously, I don't think that there was any homicides but but 14 people injured in 11 separate shootings. Um, and you can just go through the list. Um, 1.38 a.m., Water and Juneau. 1.46 a.m., two injured, 20th and Hadley. This would be Saturday, Friday night, Saturday morning. 3.15 a.m., 30th and Lisbon. Um, one person injured. 6.05 a.m., 32nd and Vine, one injured. 4.46 p.m. Saturday, 51st and Marion, two injured. It, 25th and State at 8.45 um, Saturday night, two injured. Um, one injured at 10.05 on 11th and Lapham. And it just it goes on and on and on and on. So the, the bad guys have not gotten the word that, um, hey, we're, we're cracking down or we're getting serious on, on violence. And those billboards that they're putting up apparently aren't working. Well, there, there was a story that, that Mike read in the news which demonstrates to me how in the midst of an absolute crisis of violence, and in fairness, Milwaukee is not unique. Many other urban areas are having this as well. But in, in the middle of, of this crisis, the city of Milwaukee is so completely and totally dysfunctional that you, you just you just 
there's no way they're going to get a handle on this anytime soon. The story that Mike had is is about how the ongoing battle with former Chief Al Morales continues to just spin its wheels. Now, let's back up for a second. In my opinion, Alfonso Morales was the best chief of police that the city of Milwaukee has had in decades. Al Morales ran afoul of some members of the Common Council. He was never really supported by Tom Barrett. He was never Barrett's guy. And you had some community activists who didn't like the fact that Morales was tougher on crime than they thought should happen. Didn't like the fact that you know, he, he didn't allow Milwaukee to get destroyed like what happened in, in Kenosha, that he was aggressive with dealing with certain protests and that, that Al Morales, he, he wanted to do things like bring back the gang squad and, and have a vice squad and, and crack down on crime. So he ran afoul of some of the people in the Fire and Police Commission, including some powerful people who are no longer there. And like I said, there were some in the community who were part of the defund the police crowd who didn't like Morales, so the long knives came out. In any event, the Common Council dumps Morales and does it in an illegal fashion. All right, so they get rid of him without a good idea as to who the replacement is going to be. So, you know, Morales has been gone for, you know, what, what a year or, or so? And, you know, he files a lawsuit. He wins the, the claim. Uh, you've got a Milwaukee County Circuit judge who's ruled that, yeah, I mean, he was, he was illegally discharged. They violated his rights. And the judge has ordered that Morales be reinstated. Meanwhile, Despite the fact that Milwaukee is burning, and I say that in quotation marks, but it's burning with with violence and crimes and stuff, the the Common Council now is hamstrung with with choosing a new police chief because there's an order out there. You've got the whole Morales issue that is hanging fire. He's got an order that he'd be reinstated. And so the, the Fire and Police Commission can't move forward. What happened is the first replacement for him works for a few months and then retires. Now you've got a second internal acting police chief who didn't make the first cut, when, and for, which is an amazing story in and of itself. But when you know they were looking to replace Morales, the, the guy that's now running it, who's a very good guy, by the way, he didn't even make the first cut. Well, now he's applied to take the job in, in Wauwatosa. And I'm told that he's one of the leading candidates that are there. Now people in the city of Milwaukee are saying, well, we, we got to act to try to get this guy on board. But you can't because it's such a mess because you still got this order with, with Morales that says he's supposed to be reinstated. And on top of that, you know, uh, former chief Morales has now filed a, a federal lawsuit uh, against the Fire and Police Commission um, is, as well. I mean, it's just it's just an absolute total mess. And I guess that it goes back to August. I said a year, but it was actually, okay, maybe going on 11 months now. But, but the city of Milwaukee is now paralyzed because you've got this litigation going on with uh, Al Morales. And as I said when he was first demoted, I mean, the, the bottom line is that the city of Milwaukee is going to have to write him a big check. And the sooner the mayor and the common council and the dysfunctional city attorney recognize that they're going to have to write him a big check and then just, just do it and, and move on because they violated his various rights, at least at that point in time, the city's going to have an opportunity to move on. But at a time where they desperately need leadership, they, 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 don't, they don't have it. 
And uh, the latest story today is that there was a mediation that was ordered. And I didn't think the mediation was ever going to work. But there was a mediation. And what happens with them is that, you know, the two sides get together and they agree on a, on a third party mediator. And the mediator tries to, to broker something. You know, the mediator is back and forth and says, OK, you know, what can we do to get a settlement? And at least according to the attorney for former Chief Morales, he said that they're, you know, they're, 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 they're not close to an agreement. So what's going to happen is uh, the court order is that he um he he's to be reinstated as the police chief by july 3rd if there's not an agreement and they're they're going back july 3rd's coming up pretty darn quick and there's another hearing scheduled on thursday and the city is trying to you know get the judge they're appealing the judge's order city's trying to delay this well all right that here's the biggest problem the longer this mess continues the longer it is before the city of Milwaukee can can move on. And, and so, yes, you, you can appeal this judge's order, but they're not going to be in a position to be able to hire a new police chief until you resolve the litigation with former chief Morales. And the longer you wait to hire a full-time police chief, the more you just start spinning your wheels and and the more the more likelihood it is that you're going to lose more and more people in the department. Like I say, they're gonna they're gonna apply for other jobs, et cetera, et cetera. I, I know what Al Morales has said, and he said, well, he's, he's willing to go back and work. He doesn't want to go back and do that job. I mean, why would you want to go back into a system where you've got the Fire and Police Commission that tried to demote you, you've got a mayor who didn't have your back, and now what's happened is you've had members, you know, who've been now promoted to command staff that you probably wouldn't have liked as part of your command staff. I mean, it's just, Morales doesn't want to go back there, I don't think, but he'll go back unless you pay him money. So the city of Milwaukee, if they care about the crime problem, what they need to do is they need to pay Morales whatever it's going to take to make him go away, get a settlement, clear the books, and then try to find somebody else. Now, unfortunately, my advice would be that they need an Al Morales clone. They need somebody who who is going to do what he was talking about doing, which is implement broken windows policing where the small stuff matters. Bring back the, the gang squad to concentrate on the, the problems and, and go after the gangbangers that are dominating the city. But that's not politically correct. That, again, any police chief that tries to do that is going to run afoul of the same people that Al Morales ran afoul foul with and until you get that type of leadership you know you're still going to have this quagmire of crime but they got to do something and i guess i just do not understand how it is that elected officials starting with the mayor members of the common council how their constituents let them get away with this stuff and you know the sooner they resolve the al morales thing the better it's going to be bottom line they're going to have to write a check it's going to be a big check the sooner they do that the city of milwaukee does that the better it's going to be so they can move on when we come back speaking of moving on all right it's a tradition that's going away i'll explain we'll discuss if you are a Packers fan, you are being dragged kicking, screaming, and shouting into the 21st century. 
Packers announced late last week that while Lambeau Field is going to be at full capacity this year, so that the pandemic restrictions have ended, there is going to be one change. They will no longer send season ticket holders or ticket holders. You will no longer get the physical hard copy tickets. You know, you show up, you have your ticket scanned. Everything is going to be electronic. The Packers will only accept mobile tickets for entry to Lambeau Field. This is how the Brewers have been doing it this year. I mean, I think if you're a regular listener, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a packet. I've got a, I'm a 20 pack holder to the Brewers games. In years past, what I would do is I'd spend an, it cost you an extra 15 bucks or something, but they would send me a, a book that had the hard copies of the various tickets that, that were in them. And I kind of like keeping the souvenirs and things like that. Well, this year, that, that's not the case. You do not have the option. Everything is electronic. So there's an app that you go on, you register on this, and then what happens is they, they send the tickets to my, to my phone. So I could look at it now for the next couple of Brewers games I have. The, the tickets are there. So you show up at American Family Field. You go to the gate. You pull the, up this app on your phone, and then they, they, they scan the, the tickets. Now, it's also you, you can still control them. So let's say, well, the, the other day I couldn't go to the game, so I, I sent them over to my, my buddy who I share the tickets with. The, the account's in my name. So I, just, I forwarded the tickets to him. So you can do it. If you want to sell the tickets on StubHub, you can do it too. But you have to do it all electronically. You, there, there are no more paper tickets that are there. The Packers have now said that next year, no more paper tickets. What they said is at the end of the year, they will send out a, a what they're calling like a souvenir booklet to season ticket holders that has, you know, tickets, stu- symbolic souvenir stubs in the mail at the end of the season. I, and I don't exactly know what that means. But, but on a daily, a weekly basis, if you're going into Lambeau Field, everything has to be on your phone. It's all going to be electronic. They say they think they do it because it makes it easier to uh, manage, to avoid fraud and things like that. It's it's more difficult to duplicate it. And and I'm sure there is an element to that. I think sometimes it's slower to get in because people are pulling out their phones. And at least there's there's a learning curve. I guess that's what I was found. I acknowledge the, the first time I, I did it to go into American Family Field to a Brewers game, it took me a little bit longer than it does now. Now I know the drill. You just open it up and then you swipe it and, and, and it works. And so I, I guess I have become a convert. In years past, I would always spend the extra dough to get the paper tickets because then you, you, you had them and I thought it was easy to transfer them. Having worked with this now for the better part of this year, it, it's it's no big deal. And I don't think even if given the option, I don't think I would go back to paper tickets. But you're not going to have that option at the Packers game. And my guess is for the Brewers, perhaps moving forward, you're not going to have that option as well. I don't think you have the option at the Bucks games either. I don't go to the Bucks. I haven't been to a Bucks game this year. All right. Only a couple minutes, but 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, your position on doing away with, with paper tickets. It is clearly the end of an era, but is it just something that people need to, you know, get used to? Um, and, and do you think people can? Well, you're going to have to adapt because you're not going to have a choice. But how do you feel about the decision to do this? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, as a season ticket holder, I think this is crazy. I think they have should have given us at least a year 
notice. Jeff, this sucks. What about older people who have a flip phone? They should allow paper and digital. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, and that's what the Brewers did. I said, like, up until this year, before the pandemic, the, the Brewers did allow paper and digital. Now, what, what got them started at the Brewers game is because you had limited seating, because it, when the games opened up, they only had like 20% or whatever it was, a, a lot of people, for example, in, in my case, you know, our, our, we had our regular seats, but we were reassigned from those regular seats, you know. Uh, so what, what ended up happening is our, our seat assignments were different, so you couldn't very well print up all 20 game tickets because we weren't sitting in the seats we normally sit in for the four, first four or five games. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, candidly, I think it's kind of the wave of the future. And and I didn't like it when I first saw it. But now that I've done it, I can live with it. Jim in Greenfield. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey there. How's it going today? Thanks for having me. Sure. What do you think? Well, I wanted to share, I've had two nightmare experiences uh, using the Ticketmaster app and uh, trying to transfer tickets mm-hmm. uh, from a friend. Now, I have a feeling it might just be an Android thing. You know, some people have iPhones, some people have Android. Similar apps, sometimes they have different uh, glitches right. and issues. Well, twice now in the past year, a friend has transferred their ticket to me, and it just got lost in the abyss. completely it's gone somewhere in cyberspace huh oh that that cyberspace absolutely gone uh and thanks to call well that that that's frustrating as a matter of fact i i mean i i there is there is a learning curve on this like i say on on two occasions i my my friend evan who I, i shared the tickets with there were two occasions where I couldn't go, and so I transferred the tickets to him. And I know that he was telling me there's a little bit of a learning curve trying to figure out, but but they did, and both times it ended up working. Jeff, I hate this. I will never go to another sporting event if this is how it's going to be. I'm tired of everybody trying to force me to use my electronics or my plastic. Well, I, I think, I really do think this is the wave of the future, and, and my my guess is, well, I don't want to speak for the Brewers, but my, my guess is, that maybe that option that you've you've always had of, of getting the printed tickets, my guess is it's, it's probably going to go away. And uh, I, I don't know that, but the Packers, I think, are this. Um, let's see. Um, uh, Jeff, I was never a fan of this to begin with, mainly because it's tied to a track which limits its versatility, its versatility, but it's here now, um, et, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Let's see. Not sure if this was their intent, but it has made getting secondhand tickets more difficult. Well, it it, it does. There, there's no question about it. You're you you know you're you, you've got to figure out how to transfer that, and you know if you're going to like for example put them on StubHub. I didn't have a problem one time. I, I sold tickets on StubHub, but maybe I've just been lucky. Jeff, I don't like it. I'm not comfortable carrying around my Packers tickets on my telephone. Packers better have good directions for transferring tickets. Jeff, how do you think this will affect ticket scalpers? Well, it won't affect ticket scalpers per se. As a matter of fact, in some respects, it make it it's, it makes the resale market easier because it's all electronic. I mean, when I, I sold a pair of tickets to a game earlier this year, it was on StubHub. So I transfer them to StubHub. StubHub transfers them to whoever bought it. And then my account with the Brewers gets credited. And, and actually, it worked pretty 
easily. Um, so there you go. Jeff, I got paper tickets this year from the box office. I was there when they opened it up to 100% capacity. Jeff, what do you do if buying on-site at a game? Well, uh, I well, I, from the Packers' perspective, um, I don't – I mean, they're, they're not, you're not going to be able to go up and, and buy them. At the Brewers games, I'm honestly not sure of that. Jeff, if people don't like it, I'm sure there'll be no problem getting those seats filled. Um, just last Wednesday at a Brewers game, the Ballpark Act app wasn't working, and getting into the building was horrendous. That's from Tim. Yeah, if, if the app goes down, there, there's going to be definite problems, and so that's the issue with electronics. Bottom line is, this is the future. The future is here, and if you're used to you know, getting those colorful booklets with all the different tickets that are in there, um, it ain't going to be happening if you're a Packers season ticket holder this year, and my guess is it's not going to be happening moving forward for other venues as well. A lot of great stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spaulding, were you listening to Greg's newscast, the sportscast there? Yes, I was. So the Brewers played Arizona tonight. Arizona has lost 17 games in a row. That That... You know, in modern baseball, it, that's that's almost unthinkable that you could lose seventeen games in a row. That's that's there's more going into that than just being a bad baseball team. You've also like had to have had a couple of bad luck well, games, well, that, right? Just, right. That's it because it's base. I mean, you know, because because every now and then you you think you're going to run into a situation where you know the other team's pitcher is going to have an off day or or whatever. It's just. I can't imagine being a fan of a team that's lost 17 games in a row. And it's like 30-something in a row. I know they're, in, they're at home this time, but it's like 30-something in a row on the road. So it, Stay, their, their record, is, I was looking it up during the break, their record is 20-53. and 53. Um, They are the next worst team in Major League Baseball. The um, uh, Baltimore Orioles have 23 wins. So, so Orioles have 23 wins. Uh, the Texas Rangers have 25 wins and the Pirates have 25 wins. But they, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're three games behind, 11 and 22 on the, at home, 9 and 31 away, 9 and 31, 17 in a row. Uh, they're, they're 26 and a half games out of first place. They're 26 and a half games behind the San Francisco Giants. There's a lot of season left, Jeff. Still- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you do? I mean, and it, like you're the manager. How, I see, I, I really feel sorry for, for the guy because you, you know, it's, it's not him. You know, when, when you're, when you're losing that many games, it, it's sort of, there, there's a talent issue and, and you're probably right, bad breaks and stuff, but how do you lose 17 games in a row? At what point would you stop going as a fan, or or do you just embrace the losing now? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because there there are people in this industry, for example, who are a lot smarter than than I am. And one of the things are these studies out there that find that, like, for interest in the fan base, it's if your team is really really good, there's high interest. And interestingly enough, if your team is really, really bad, there's high interest. Actually, the worst thing is to have like a, a middling, you know, because yeah. because again, your team's really good and inspires it. You're out there, you're rooting. Hey, we're going to make the playoffs or whatever. Or you're kind of like Arizona, and the, the fans are 
for want of a better phrase, hacked off. You know, so they're, 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 they're <laughs> angry. I can't believe that. I can't believe that Wagner let another ball go mm-hmm. through his legs. Why? You know, so they're, 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 it's that kind of anger that motivates them. So it's, it's sort of that the middle of the road is not where you want to be. I, I imagine the, the fan base. I bet I bet you sports talk radio um, in you know in Phoenix and stuff. I'll bet you they have no shortage of callers because everybody's out there saying you got to fire this guy, you got to fire that guy. I'm just that's kind of my sense. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure too that the 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 team is going to have to start doing some pretty good specials, you know, at the ballpark and <laughs> right. people to get out there. So. I think you go just to have more of a fun time. Or it's Arizona. They they have indoor stadium. I think it's right. A, well, they've got right. They've got a dome on it. Get, they, get out of the retract. heat, maybe. <laughs> right. They, they say, well, right. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. You you probably do have to you know, like let's have the concert after the show and stuff. But my guess is again fan interest because when you think about it, it's it's like oh my god, I can't believe that they lost mm-hmm. uh, another game. But it's it is just mind boggling to me as a professional sports fan that now sometimes in other sports like I was just doing a little bit a little while ago about how. Philadelphia, the basketball team, the 76ers, they, they called it the process, oh, yeah. but what they were, they were tanking. And this, this is what happens in the NBA sometimes. You have these teams that aren't going to be competitive. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they, I don't want to say try to lose, but they don't actively try as hard to win because the idea is we'll finish lower in the standings, we'll get a high draft pick, yeah. and we'll, we'll build like that. It doesn't really work quite that way in, in baseball. I, I can't imagine what it's like to lose to, again to, to lose seventeen seventeen games because you know you know they're trying to win. Yes, and baseball too is kind of that funny game to where it just takes one swing of the bat. You know, yeah. you don't have to put together a, a lot of stuff. It could just be one walk and right. a home run, and you win two to one or something right. like that. Okay, so let let us though speak on behalf of Brewers fans. Um, we we do not want to see this week be the week that Arizona snaps no. out of this. This is, you know, I I I wish the Arizona team the best, but I, I hope. Um, let's see, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I, I hope that on Friday we're having this conversation <laughs> and they will now lost twenty-one games in a row, and the Brewers are coming back for their real opening day. You know, with a the six-game winning streak. That's well, what we're hoping. For. You know what it does is it puts that five-game losing streak last week or the week before into <laughs> some real perspective <laughs> it's, it's true it, it right in, a, in the category of it could always be worse okay when we come back interesting story coming from the olympics now, now hear me out i'll explain we'll discuss stick around Here's a text, Jeff. My father was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. He loved them because they were, in his words, stumble bums. They were fun to watch. When they moved to L.A., he was done with them. Yeah, that that is, like I, I used to say, there, there's all these studies that are out there that say that from a sports team, you want your team to be good and competitive, or if the team is really, really bad, people take an interest in it. It's kind of that, that middle of the road sometimes that people tune out on. But in any event, we've got the Brewers, and the Brewers are really good this year. All right. Laurel Hubbard. Laurel Hubbard. Who is Laurel Hubbard? Well, Laurel Hubbard is a weightlifter who has been selected by uh, New Zealand to compete in the, the Olympics that are coming up next month. Um, and she, she's going to be a weightlifter. All right. Now, I know. I know, Jeff, why are you talking about a, a Laurel Hubbard, some New Zealand weightlifter? What, what, what is relevant about that? Well, Laurel Hubbard is 43 years old. She is going to be an Olympic weightlifter. 
up until eight years ago, Laurel Hubbard was a guy. Uh, Laurel Hubbard was a, a male weightlifter who competed, but but candidly, you know, w- was not was not an Olympic caliber weightlifter as as a guy. So about eight years ago, Laurel Hubbard began began the process of transitioning from male to female. All right now, it, it wasn't it wasn't about gee, I want to compete better as a woman. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on. So he he began the transition into a she, and, and now it's female. She is she is female. So there, and I wanted to say this at the outset that this isn't my comments on this. It's it's not about the transitioning or things like that. I think that's perfectly I think it's perfectly appropriate, and I understand that the reality of people who you know the uh, the, the transgender transgender issues. That, that that's not the question. The question though is whether it is appropriate for her to compete in the female category of of weightlifting. Like I say, before the transition. Laurel Hubbard was not a world-class weightlifter as, as a male. Did okay, but was not a world-class weightlifter. Now competing in the female category, well, she, she's on the Olympic team, and actually they're talking about how she might be a, a favorite to, to win a medal. Now, this is raising all sorts of issues about the fairness of taking somebody who has transitioned and in this case, gone from male to female and allowing them to compete against people who are biologically females. Now, the Olympic rules and what Laurel Hubbard is doing is in complete and total compliance with the rules. Um, the, the rules say that people who transition from male to female are eligible to compete in the female category if they have declared that their gender identity is female and that the declaration cannot be changed for sporting purposes for a minimum of four years. In addition, within the there's a criteria that says that you have to, you know, have gone through, you know, various treatments and you can have a maximum reading of 10 nanomoles per liter of testosterone, right? So there's there's a limit on the amount of testosterone that you can have. Now, people who have issues with this say, okay, that, that reading of 10 nanomoles per liter of testosterone, that's at least five times more than a biological woman. Um, I'm, I'm reading a story about this. Belgium's Anna... Van Bellingham, who will likely compete against Hubbard, said the New Zealanders' presence would be, quote, like a bad joke for women competitors. She said, I'm aware that defining a legal frame for transgender participation in sports is very difficult since there is an infinite variety of situations and that reaching an entirely satisfactory solution from either side is probably impossible. However, this is what the female weightlifter says, anyone who has trained weightlifting at a high level knows this to be true in their bones. This particular situation is unfair to the sport and to the athletes. So what a number of the competitors are saying is that that she has a natural advantage in terms of physiology and strength. 
And so the, the argument is that e- even though she's met the criteria, even though she's gone through the different treatments and stuff like that, the fact that she was biologically born a male and lived as a male for 35 years gives her an inherent advantage over, again, the female competitors. And their, their evidence of that is, look, you know, when she was competing against against males, before the transition, she, she wasn't going to be an Olympic gold medalist. She, she was a weightlifter. But now, because she's transitioned, she's competing against females, you know, she's, again, one of the favorites. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, again, this conversation isn't about the, the transition and a right to do it or anything like that. No problem with that. The question is, in these types of competitions, is it fair to everyone else to allow somebody born a male to now compete against females? Does it give her an inherent advantage? A lot of the competitors say yes. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Richard in Illinois. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Well, Jeff, we got to mark this one on the calendar because I rarely agree with you, but we're in lockstep on this. And it's not a gay, non-gay thing, whatever. No. It's just I would think, I would think, and maybe I'm ignorant, but I would think that she would have to have some some of her old male muscle stuff left, which would give her a competitive disadvantage. I'm, I'm not in favor, so. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. So, See, so. We, we, we can rationalize reason together. And again, and I'm with you. This, is, this isn't the transgender, this isn't the transition thing or anything like that. that. To me, the fundamental question is, if you are biologically born a, a male, you know, with the male body structure, is it fundamentally fair, you know, even though she's gone through the different treatments, is it fundamentally fair to have her compete uh, against people who were born biologically as, as women? And I, I think, I guess my my gut reaction is, is no, I don't think it is. Now, it, you know, if there was a separate category where she was competing against other people who transitioned, I would have no problem with that at all. But th- this is one where, no, no, it, it does strike me that she's going to have an inherent advantage. That's not to say that she's necessarily guaranteed to win. 855-616-1620. I do believe this is the texture. It gives her a huge advantage. It's not fair to other female competitors that have worked their whole life to get to where they are. Um, Jeff, no kidding. She's a favorite for a medal. I don't care if you want to change your gender or about testosterone counts that needs to be in a certain range. It's unfair to biological female athletes regardless. And you can't win in your biological gender. Now you compete against women for a chance to win. Well, I, I think that's an oversimplification. I, I, I doubt she transitioned in gender just so she can compete in the Olympics. I, I don't think that's what was going on here. But but at the same time, it does it does strike me that it gives you an advantage in this regard. Jeff, I think this is incredibly unfair. Um, Jeff, um, I think that uh, this identification malarkey is becoming needlessly complicated. Everybody comes with a birth certificate, which clearly, you know, states what their uh, gender is. Jeff, absolutely not. And again, I, I, I appreciate we want to be sensitive to the fact that this this lady wants to compete and and that's that's fine i just wonder if it's fair to have her compete in this category and you know you 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 see this in all sorts of different areas as as well because when you've that 
look, some people don't like me when I say this, but there, there are, there are biological differences between boys and girls. That's just the reality of this. And the question becomes, how do you level the playing field in a situation like this? And yeah, you can, you can try to measure the chemistry and stuff like that, but I, I just, at least a lot of the other competitors think that she's got an unfair advantage to this and that, you know, as a result, um, as a result that, that she's going to have an advantage of this. She says, you know, her response is, she said, look, um, all you can do is focus on the task at hand and you keep doing it. It'll get you through. I'm mindful I won't be supported by everyone, but I hope people can keep an open mind and perhaps look at my performance in a broader context. Um, okay. It, 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 it It's not that I think people, or at least I hope people, don't object to her transition and pursuing, you know, a sport. It's when you compete against, in this case, you know, biological women, the issue is, do you have an unfair advantage? And I think there's a lot of smart people who think, yeah, not about her not being able to compete. It's about, is this fair to the field? And the Olympics has said yes, so she's going to be there. I wonder. Back with more in just a minute. We talk a lot on this program about the, the, the unacceptable levels of crime. And we, when we tend to focus on, on like the bigger stuff, we, we look at the, the, the outrageous homicide levels. And then we look at the number of shootings that don't result in homicides. And if you're a regular listener to this show, you know that I, I, I my, my position is a better indicator of violence is shootings because anytime somebody is shot, it is but for the grace of God that it doesn't turn into a homicide. So you, you look at that. And then we've talked about like the reckless driving and the carjackings and we've talked a lot about the car thefts and and all those those attendant things and and the need to prioritize this and to deal with like the the juveniles that are stealing six and seven and eight cars and having no problem with it but there, there's another type of crime that flies under the radar screen because admittedly it's not it's not a murder it's not somebody sticking a gun in somebody else's face and stealing their their car it's not an assault type of thing but nevertheless i think it's significant and and i'm talking about shoplifting there there was a there's a story um that i just stumbled upon to, about how shoplifting has become more of an epidemic than ever and how shoplifters have gotten more brazen than ever because they really do know that nothing is going to happen to them. Let me share a portion of the story. It was from Fox. A recent viral shoplifting incident has highlighted trends in part of the country where offenders at local drugstores rule the roost. In one case, even able to ride through the store on a bike and take a garbage bag full of stolen goods as shoppers and security watched on. Um, viral video from earlier this week showed a man riding a bike through a San Francisco Walgreens store, hauling apparently stolen goods as he zipped his way past shoppers, including a security guard who was filming the incident on his cell phone. The footage was captured, got thousands of comments about, like, no consequences. And, and what it goes on to talk about how retail theft has just gone through the roof. Walgreens has shuttered 17 stores in San Francisco over the past five years. CVS has closed at least two, describing San Francisco as the epicenter of organized retail crime. 
CVS official estimates that about 85% of the company's money losses in San Francisco are the result of what they call professional crime, organized retail crime, which is a phrase they use to describe shoplifting committed by shoplifting ring or multiple people who typically steal goods from multiple locations in an organized effort. Los Angeles, um, let's see, Los Angeles is number one, Chicago is number two, Miami is number three, New York and then San Francisco are in, in line. But I, I think, I, I don't think it's, it's unique. Organized retail crime impacts 97% of retailers in Georgia. 97%. And, you know, they, they talk about how, like in California, what they did is they changed the law in 2014 to make theft below $950 a, a misdemeanor. So it, it's effectively kind of decriminalized this. But the point is, nobody gets prosecuted for doing this regardless. It, it's just it's not something that is, is a priority, because if we don't take car theft seriously and we don't really take, you know, robbery seriously. And if you have to, I don't know, really do something bad before we even think about putting you in prison, why do we care? Why Why should the court system care about shoplifting? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I go back to this concept of, 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 of broken windows policing and broken windows law enforcement. Shoplifting it is a big deal. I know that there are certain areas of of our community where retailers are encouraged not to report shoplifting claims because even though it occurs and even though it is an epidemic, the concern is you call the cops, the cops got to issue a police report, that gets out into the public, and so you do, and the, the concern is that the merchants have is we don't want to give the impression that our store is in fact unsafe or it's being plagued by robberies because that might pe- make people reluctant to come there, so we just eat these losses. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Shoplifting hurts businesses. Shoplifting hurts consumers because ultimately that cost gets passed on to all the rest of us in the form of of higher prices. And what's more, I think the people, I would argue that that shoplifting is one of these kind of gateway crimes. The, The idea that you start off by stealing stuff from the retail store. My guess is that there's a lot of people that get caught for doing more serious things down the road, probably started off by, I don't know, stealing stuff from the local CVS or Walgreens or whatever. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is shoplifting something that's worth cracking down on? My answer would be, yeah. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Steve and Wabino. Hi, Steve. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, you know, you know, I, my, produ- my producer did not know where Wabino was. I, I certainly do. You're kind of in the northeast part of the state. Right. I'm, I'm straight north of uh, Townsend and Lakewood. So right. I'm 32 up here. So. Got it. Yeah. I, have actually, I have been to anyway. Wabino, as a matter of fact. So go, go ahead. Okay, what do you think about the shoplifting story? We got a great lumberjack museum up here, by the way. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I worked retail sec- before I retired. I worked retail security for twenty years part time down in uh, 
Chicago on the magnificent Mile State Street area. Then I moved up to the northern suburbs uh, to continue up there. And anybody that steals, it, it's, it is a gateway thing. Plus, um, um, I, I gave your producer an example. We caught a guy stealing. I, I was just in line behind him. He took a 29-cent chocolate Santa, slid into a paper. I just wanted to get the Santa back and send him on his way. The guy started to freak out on us so much, we called the police. Mm-hmm. Turns out the guy had been paroled two days earlier for on an armed robbery charge, and they sent him back to do the rest of his sentence uh, just mm-hmm. based on a 29-cent chocolate Santa. So I, I, you know, I felt kind of bad for him, but then I thought, well, you know what, we're getting this guy off the street before he does some more damage to either another retailer or to somebody personally. So okay. I guess it, it, it's, it's interesting, though, Steve. My sense is that it, it's gotten worse, and that and that you have a lot. Of, these are. It's not just the guy that goes in and slips the candy bar in his pocket, but a lot of this stuff is brazen, systematic folks who go in and just steal a whole bunch of stuff because the security guards are told don't engage. I mean, I, I understand that. You know, the last yeah. thing you want is somebody to pull out a gun and start shooting, and the, the store wants, so they just kind of eat this. But that just then emboldens the, the thieves even more and more, I would imagine. It does, and it, and these are organized gangs. They're staking out stores. They're seeing who's on duty. They, they're in these stores. They're looking at the people who who are in these stores. They know when their shift changes, et cetera, et cetera, and and, and they're taking advantage. Advantage yeah. of the system that way. So. No, no, thanks for the call. And, it, and it's becoming a, a larger and larger problem. And I, uh, a matter of fact, I'll, I'll send out a tweet with a link to this story because you look, you don't think about it. And I, I understand, you know, we're, we're we're talking about people's cars being stolen and we're talking about people being shot. And we're talking about people being murdered. I, I, I understand all that. But at the same time, the, as part of that, there's other, you know, retail theft and stuff is going on, and, and maybe people think that that's not as big a deal. Well, that's fine. I mean, imagine if you're the proprietor of a store, though, and you've got a guy pulling in on a bicycle with a shopping bag, stealing as much as they can. And again, the, the employees, I get it. The employees are told not to engage. So it, it's essentially a green light for people to do this. And that's what the point of this is. That's it's part of the complaints that's there, because if if the if the security guards are told, well, well, don't engage because you don't want to hurt the shoplifter, or you don't want the shoplifter to hurt you, or you don't want the shoplifter to pull out a gun and start shooting, and then some, you know, somebody that's in the store gets hurt. If the idea is you just let them go by, and if you see this video from last week, that's pretty much what the store security guard is doing. They're just videotaping the guy on the bicycle going through there, and I get the sense that this is not necessarily. An, an isolated situation. Jeff, what's the sense in having security if they can't engage? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the okay, the, the argument would be security is, is to deter. They're not to engage, but they're to document. So you document what's happened, you call the police, you give the description of the individual who did it, and then you let the police take over. The problem, and this is not a knock on the police, I understand they're busy, but, but the problem is, if it's such a low priority or if you have district attorneys that just say, well, I'm not going to touch something like this or judges that say, OK, you're bringing me a retail theft case. You got some guy that stole a thousand bucks. I mean, come on. Don't you realize I've got a docket full of carjackers and things like that? It, you, right. It, in a perfect world, having security document report and then be prepared to testify is fine. But in reality, it doesn't work because there, there's no accountability and there's 
no consequences. Jeff, here's a text. It's not just retail. My daughter is a server at a popular chain sit-down restaurant. People often eat and walk off without paying after they get the bill. The policy of the restaurants is not to engage probably for the same reason we were just talking about, I can't believe they stay in business. And, you know, and that's a story, you, you don't hear about the Dine and Dash stories. You, you, don't, you don't hear that at all because, I, I mean, I understand. We're, we're in Milwaukee where if it's a shooting, for goodness sakes, it, it probably doesn't make the print edition of the newspaper unless it's a spectacular, unless there's a spectacular loss of life. It's unfortunate, but that's kind of the reality. So you just wonder how often this Dine and Dash stuff occurs, how often the retail theft stuff occurs and and whether this is just kind of the new reality that's um out there jeff what's the world coming to i remember seeing signs all over that said shoplifters will be prosecuted and don't do it because it hurts everybody causing costs to go up well my guess is these organized thieves they don't really care if costs go up to everybody else because they're not paying to begin with all right it's 254 when we come back we'll find out what john mccure has on his mind for wisconsin's afternoon news